Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, our bi-weekly podcast where we revisit the Babysitter's Club, our foundational pop culture knowledge history. I'm trying to take a different <laughs> approach now that we are back to the books. Kate and I are rereading our favorite book series from our childhood, from our youths. And today we are extra special excited because we have come to Kate's much referenced, very favorite book of the whole series. I mean, basically, we're just going to have to cancel the podcast after this because I don't know how else I'm going to talk about the Babysitter's Club without this out in the future. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm a little bit nervous. I was a little bit nervous because I did not remember this one the way that you did. Clearly, if you remember from uh, our predictions last week, Kate literally just recited the plot for us. And I, I had to, I mean, I had to take her word for it again. But I was a little worried it wasn't going to live up to the hype is what I, where I'm going with this. And it did not fail in on any level. Like, no notes is kind of my, <laughs> we can just... Hit recording, like perfect book, no notes, <laughs> nothing end. to discuss. I loved, We're out of here. loved every single moment of it. So I know we want to get into it really badly. So let's start. We have a guest this week, which never happens on our non super specials, but this book was so special to Kate that it deserves a very special guest. We are so excited to welcome today our good friend, Kelly Biscopink. Yay! Yay, Kelly. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I know you love this book as much as yeah. I do, so you had to be a guest on this episode. <laughs> Big time. I, I just kind of forced my way on in here because I was like, <laughs> mystery admirer, I'm there, sign me up, coach. So yeah, I have no qualifications to be here other than this is my favorite book, so... I mean, we don't have qualifications either. If you have no qualifications, <laughs> yeah. we have no qualifications. And yet Perfect. we've been doing this for like three years. So it's fine. I'll fit, I'll fit right in. If meteoric or white men can do it, why not us too? Um, <laughs> for sure. Just, you know. <laughs> but really, I was thinking about it earlier today. In a strange way, Kelly, we have you to thank for all of this. Because Kelly is the reason that Kate and I met in the first place. Uh, so Kelly and I went to, um, and for those of you keeping score at home, this is yet another all-girls private high school from Cincinnati. So yes, <laughs> Kelly, there, there are quite a myself, few. and Katie Schneller all went to different, separate, private all-girls high schools in Cincinnati. But we all did theater at Moeller. Katie was behind and didn't do uh, any shows with Kelly, but Kelly and I did a show together her senior year and my freshman year. What, what did we do? Was it was it Birdie? Bye yeah, bye it was birdie. Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. So then I, when I started school at Dayton, I, of course, immediately glommed on to Kelly, who was directing Bat Boy in the studio theater. And that is where Kate and I met. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. And I did not let them alone for like the, their whole senior year. That's true. We have talked about how you basically moved into our house <laughs> when our other roommate was in Chile. So just bit. worked yeah, out well. All worked out. So, and here we are, many, uh, well, let's not talk about how many years later, but years later, here we are <laughs> talking about something. This is, this is 100% a conversation we would have been having back then in, in the dorms. Just, oh, for sure. You know, yep. now over the internet and recorded to be broadcast One, over the internet. 100% so. less natty light involved, but you know, <laughs> same conversation. Yeah. Accurate. When, yeah. 
One million percent, especially on a Sunday morning. Ooh, that just like even just thinking Ooh. about Beast had a visceral like. Mm-hmm. Mm. I can yeah, smell no, it right I'm now. Good. Yeah. Why no, do I want you. Chipotle yeah, all that- of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> this would be like when we're waking up and you're smelling like the the morning after uh-huh. the party cleanup. Like, yeah. uh, oof, no. Yeah. Just just let's just burn the dorm down. Like it's yeah, meh. it's not salvageable. Glad, yeah, glad no, to not, not be doing that this morning <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I I have to say though. You know, sometimes we go back and forth on maturity levels with the girls, and I we have another dance in this book, as we as we know, because we have referenced the multiple Halloween hops uh, over the course of recording. But I, I did have a moment this book where I was like thinking about my eighth grade dances and how unwholesome they were and compared to Sweet Christy and her rouge lobster face. Like we used to have to have the teachers come around with with yardsticks and like try, m- literally make room for the Holy Spirit. So wow. I mean, we were not like it wasn't you know quite debauchery that a college party was, but it was certainly not you know. Kids See, it's funny. I had and- I had a completely different response to it because my eighth grade dance, the boys were at one end of the mm-hmm. cafetorium. That's so funny. I vividly remember playing basketball with like a street cone that they had drug in outside from like, you know, where somebody <laughs> was running, you know, relay races or something at lunch. And the girls were at the other end going like, this is not the magical moment I was promised. You know, like, so there was basically no dancing. Yeah, my experience was much more like Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was just there was just way more dancing. In the book. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's true. Definitely. I wouldn't call what we were doing dancing. It was more just like grinding awkwardly upon each other. Like there was no interaction. Oh, interesting. I don't know. We had, we must have very bold boys. Must have. Our boys wanted nothing to do with most of us. Perhaps it was because I was wearing a one piece jumpsuit at the time <laughs> that was straight off the rack from like, it was like a Sears or JCPenney type situation that. <laughs> I thought I looked oh, yeah. banging in. And in retrospect, probably should have gone with something more like a lobster suit. So a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think my my fashion choices also didn't inspire a lot yeah. of lust or anything Correct. even remotely yeah. in that direction from the, the boys that it I went to. It didn't inspire with. the men to bravery. Yeah. No. <laughs> it inspired them to go play in the corner with the breasts of Precisely. the boys. They're like, Mom made me come to this stupid thing. So before we get too far carried away with all of our thoughts, because as Kate mentioned, Kelly loves this book as much as she does, and now myself as the convert, let's remind us what book we actually are talking about. That would be number 38, Christie's Mystery Admirer. This was released in October 1990 and was actually Anne M. Martin, which, I mean, it had to have been. It was gold, mm-hmm. like I said, from from start to finish, especially the amount of witty Christie that we get in this is just, it's so clear how much Anne really loves Christie Thomas. Like it's, it's really fun to read someone who clearly loves their creation so much. Anyway, I just, she was wonderful. So let's see what the back of the book says. This I'm excited for. Of all of the babysitters, Christie's the last one anyone would expect to have a secret admirer, but someone is sending her mushy notes with hearts all over them. Christy and Shannon are pretty sure the letters are from Bart, Christy's rival softball coach. But then, the notes Christy receives from her mystery admirers start getting a little weird. And creepy. Is Bart pulling a practical joke on Christy? 
Or do the strange notes mean something more serious? Only the babysitters can find out. I, I mean, on on this one, I think is on par with the way the seriousness that the book takes mm-hmm. it. That I mean, it's it's like melodramatic, but in a fun way, which I feel like is something that this that really makes this book work so well is it gets that tone mm-hmm. so right that like melodramatic but fun melodramatic and like stakes but not life and death stakes like where we were got so worked up with the the super special where it was just mm-hmm. so like mismatched on the tone like they were trying to pretend like it was this fun little adventure when you're like people can die <laughs> no children have been missing for 72 hours like no, this is not like <laughs> this is that like he he right. he low stakes level and it's perfection so yeah i think the back of the book kind of nailed it on yeah that one. it definitely didn't go too far afield and go off on weird tangents that don't actually show up in the book like they do sometimes so it was it was the right tone i think for the back of the book okay so i mean I, we basically could just replay your predictions from last <laughs> week but i cannot wait to hear what you came up with for us for the actual <laughs> plot summary well Buckle in, because it's a bit of a doozy. <laughs> it's a little bit less rambly than my predictions were, because I had actually reread it recently when I wrote this, uh, our, our description. So we'll just dive right in. Okay, the Christie-specific plot. Guys, it's finally here. My absolute favorite Babysitter's Club book that I've been hyping from the beginning. So we're in the weeks leading up to Halloween, which means there's a dance on the horizon, of course, but also apparently means it's time for a lot of softball games between the Crushers and the Bashers, including a one-game World Series that doesn't seem to be any different from any of the other games the teams play, except they have refreshment stands again, just like at the first game the teams played. So the softball uh, in this book gives us a lot of opportunities for the girls to hang out and Bart to show up while our girls deal with the major and titular storyline of the book, Christie's Mystery Admirer. So here's the deal. Christy gets a few typewritten notes from a mystery admirer dropped off at her house or Shannon's due to a mix-up from the deliverer. They're very sweet, albeit a little over the top with declarations of actual love, and Christy has no idea who they could be from. Her friends all insist that it's Bart, but she thinks it's Sam playing a joke. After bringing all the notes to school and discussing them in detail at lunch one day at a table immediately next to the one occupied by Cokie Mason and her gang, she starts getting letters that appear to be identical, but veer into creepy and scary territory, including one with fucking fingernail clippings in it. This makes the rest of the girls think that the notes couldn't be from Bart, but Christy thinks it is him, and either he's a lunatic psycho, and there's a lot of use of both of those words throughout this book, or he's trying to psych her out before the World Series. The girls all treat Bart poorly as a result of Christy's position on this, and he finally confronts her, and they sort out that the original nice notes were from him, and Christy, yes, our Christy swoons over that, but that the creepy notes were not his doing. Christy then becomes convinced a kidnapper is targeting her because, quote, she's rich, and Shannon makes a pretty shitty comment about a kidnapper being more likely to go after Watson's quote-unquote real kids. Things come to a head at the World Series when Koki and her friends inexplicably show up, and then Koki tips her hand by using a phrase from one of the creepy notes. Christy calls her out and tells her she's going to tell everyone at Stony Brook Middle School and at Stony Brook Day School about what she's done. The Crushers win the World Series, and Christy has a momentary questioning about whether she should have let Bart win. Again, our Christy did this, but thankfully snaps out of it. 
We end the book with the girls attending the Halloween hop and Christy being, brings Bart for her date, which is her first real date. They dress up as lobsters and he kisses her cheek at the end of the dance. The girls have a sleepover at Christy's after the dance that includes Shannon, who spent her boring downtime with the, while the rest of the girls were at the dance creating a fake ransom note out of ma- magazine letters. The girls freak out but then laugh with Shannon when she explains everything. But it inspires Christy to take to draft a, a creepy letter back to Koki as she has decided to continue the war with Koki and her gang. But seriously, Koki Mason is a sociopath. And then Babysitter's Club specific plot. Um, there are basically no subplots here as everything is focused on softball and mystery admirers. One item of note is that Buddy Barrett gets a crush on Shannon after hitting her with a softball at practice. There's a lot of Shannon in this book, which is nice since we haven't seen much of her since Christy and the Snobs. And also of note is that the girls reference quote unquote last Halloween where they scared Koki and her friends at Old Hickory's grave, but they were in eighth grade for that Halloween too. So question mark. So I think we should probably start there since you ended there and get the timeline ridiculousness off our plate because I know it, it's unfortunate that the first really good timeline book we've had in a long time is also the book where there's a million other things mm-hmm. to discuss because we could conservatively have a whole conversation, a whole podcast about this nonsense. But the short version is, so this is in fact year three of eighth grade. Um our third pass through. Um, so, but we've, this is actually our only third Halloween total. We have one of the years, the last year through was like Claudia and the sad goodbye, Jesse and the super brat, welcome back Stacy. So they didn't do Halloween for those. It was the first time they went through grade one was Marianne's bad luck mystery. And that was the Koki one that they reference here. So this was actually, they say last year, but it was actually two years. And I use that with scare quotes ago, but all three of those were in eighth grade. And then the last time we saw the Halloween hop was in Claudia and the phantom phone calls, but they were in eighth grade for that. Seventh grade. So seventh grade, sorry. Yes, correct. So th- that was the last time we saw the dance was in seventh grade, but now this is so the fourth Halloween, the third eighth grade Halloween, but only the the third Halloween that we've seen. Period. One of them just happened in the background when they were, um, as we noted, better in year two about not like placing things in time, so that it was that we that so that I couldn't do something like this. We're just <laughs> lay, laying out the actual like alternate dimension i guess I, I like i don't even know how to describe it would it be like it's an infinite loop but do you think what do you think happens do they just like reset does it just i i don't know i i am honestly like this is why i mean we need to move on because i could get existential here real quick in, in like a russian doll kind of way about like what it all means and what where this is where it's going but in any case it's wonky it's very very wonky so that's where we are i think it means nothing lauren i hate to tell you <laughs> i'm pretty sure it means they wanted to have another halloween they wanted story. to have another halloween <laughs> and we don't want the girls to be 45 so you know <laughs> i know i'm sorry i, mean, I just you know see, i'm coming in as the the practical voice of non-existential <laughs> reason i guess so <laughs> well, i mean logic who what, i know room for logic know. these days or or, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, use a phrase from the kids, like the metaverse. I don't know. <laughs> 
There we go. Sure. But we'll call we'll just, it that. And, yeah. Because that's, that's all the rage nowadays. I don't know what it means. I just used a word. Hashtag it, you know. <laughs> exactly. I do have to say, getting away from the metaverse and or wonkiness of multiple Halloweens, you are right. I you know, as I'm praising the getting the tone right, I did forget the fingernails that had blocked that out a little bit. That is like a bridge to a bridge too far. Just I just you know. don't understand. Like, Koki Mason is a 13 year old girl too. Like, where did she get that idea? Exactly. Why did she think that was okay? Like, yes, obviously she wants to take Christy down a peg because of you know getting embarrassed in front of Logan. But like, what the fuck? Like that is. It's why that detail has stuck with me. Yes, same. Since I was 11 years old. Like when I heard the title of this book, my instant memory is fingernail clippings in a scary letter. Like it's from the brain of Anna Martin. I'm like, what kind of sociopath are you? But so when I mentioned not to go on a tangent, but when I mentioned to my mother that I was coming on this podcast to discuss this book, she was like, why do you like this book so much? I was like, (laughs) I don't even know that I would say I like this book. It's just extremely memorable. And I completely blame it for like my interest in true crime now. And she goes, well, why is that? I said, there was a, a scary like mystery admirer stalker letter. Christy was being stalked quote unquote, and she gets a letter with fingernail clippings in it. And my mom was like, this was in a babysitter's club book? I'm like, yes. You would think that this was Anne Rule and not Anna Martin, but sure. Very disturbing. We're discovering a lot of that. Katie Schneller pointed it out when we were talking about the life and death stakes of the harrowing boat journey that the kids took. And she was like, I'm now understanding – well, her mom objected to the fact that a boy was on a babysitting job, which, you know, fair enough. But she's like, I'm I'm now rereading these and going, mom, man, maybe my mom wasn't too far off that these were a little bit more intense than I, I thought of them as. And we're certainly noting that there are more themes in there. But fingernails is a whole other thing. And you know what's so funny is that – I so I said drink predictions and I didn't really remember this one and I maintained that for a full probably two thirds of the book and then somewhere along the way and I can't remember exactly what it was but there was like a moment they like unlocked something for me and I went oh shit I do remember this and went the whole rest of the way through and I was like why don't I remember until I got to the fingernails and then I went oh that's right. I blocked this out. This disturbed me so deeply as a child that I just fully went, nope, like box, 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 shove, shove, shove. And I like it was had one of those like triggering, like I was all of a sudden back in my childhood bedroom. I could see the hearts on the walls. And I was like in that moment again of going, oh, no, this is not for me. I think when I read this, when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, whenever it would have been in middle school, like it did I I was absolutely terrified by this book. This was like the scariest thing aside yeah. from some Nancy Drews probably that I had read to date and it never occurred to me till I was so relieved when it was Cokie Mason. I absolutely thought Christy had a stalker out there. And I think part of that is, you know, Lauren you're a little bit younger than me and Kate, but like, you know, we kind of grew up with the faces on the milk carton. Mhm. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, it was it felt like it was very plausible to me that 
Christy was going to like, this was a real outside threat from someone. I was very relieved when it was Koki. Yeah. And I think the thing is like the fact that Christy herself brings that up as an opter, like an option yes. as maybe there is an actual kidnapper after me. Like, and so they, I mean, I probably would have thought of it anyway, again, because we were growing up with, you know, the news cycle becoming what closer to what it is now and kids faces on milk cartons and all of that. And like, I, I probably would have gotten there. But the fact that she specifically says, like, maybe someone's going to kidnap me. It was like, oh, shit, maybe she is going to get kidnapped. Like, this is going to take a weird turn for a babysitter's yeah. book if that's the case. But <laughs> right. the fact that it's even mentioned the va- I mean, because the. Uh, several of the letters Koki sends mention blood and like taking her away forever. And like, that is some dark shit. Like what happened to Koki in her life to make her be like this? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's, it's not great. You're right. I had forgotten about how zeitgeisty uh, kidnapping Mm -hmm. was. You're right. In the eighties that that was like, that was all of the, uh, cause I remember Face on the Milk Carton, speaking of that in particular, being one that really Mm -hmm. got into my brain. The the, the fact that somebody could just grab somebody in a mall and wander away. Mm -hmm. And that, like, the actual parents – I love how they, like, made that plot so that the actual parents who raised her weren't bad people. So they didn't have to get into that trauma of, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) loving her parents but also having them be the bad people that, you know, kidnapped her. If you – spoiler alert, if you don't remember the book (laughs) – it was the da- the daughter like dumped kidnapped this kid and dumped it on her parents and they did they thought it was her like she had like run away to have a baby but in any case that was very much a thing of the time and you know what's so funny is reading it now this Christie and the Mystery Meyer now I bet kids would ha- not have nearly that same like level of worry about the kidnapping they would probably be much more like oh Christie's being so silly like that's over the top like nobody's gonna you know ransom her because that's not a thing we hear about now if if you hear about kidnapping at all it's in context of like human trafficking but it's not or like, like parental the Lindbergh like, baby like it, if, yeah. if, if that were the actual storyline here like Buddy it would Barrett. be her dad kidnapping her I mean obviously he wouldn't because he sucks but you know it that would be he would have to care right, enough to exactly kidnap like Her particular dad wouldn't kidnap her, but, like, in the world of today, if she were going to be kidnapped, it would most likely be her estranged father. Yeah. I don't think a kid would read this today and be nervous about an actual kidnapping ransom plot the way that we were Mm -hmm. were back then. Maybe that's – I don't know. Lord knows they have other, you know – much more probably realistic threats that they're concerned with. So I'm not saying that they're better. I don't think a 12-year-old t- – maybe I'm totally wrong. I don't have kids. I don't know. But, like, I, I feel like today's youth are so much savvier than we were and exposed to so much more. Like, That's what I'm getting I think at, a 12 yeah. or 13-year-old would read these books and be like, I should give this to my 6-year-old sister. You know, I feel like they – I was reading them when I was 10, 11, yeah. you know? Yeah. I feel like we ta- we've talked about that a lot. Like, what what actually ages are reading this? Mm-hmm. Who's actually into this? You know, aside from all of us 30-somethings who well, very sure. clearly are. Mm-hmm. There was just another BuzzFeed article this week about, you know, them rereading the books. And I'm like, welcome to the party, pal. I don't <laughs> – that was a very cheerful version of Die Hard. But um, anyway – but this one is like I am definitely going to be hanging on to this one as a when people are like, why Babysitter's Club? Like, why do a podcast and dedicate time and effort and energy? And all I need to do now is hand them this book and be like, just enjoy. 
buckle in for a two-hour wild ride from start to finish. I was... I, like there was not a time where I did not stop laughing at, at this. Like I said earlier, like Anna M. Martin's voice for Christie's like asides and the things that she chooses to just sort of like comment on and drop in there just cracked me up the whole time. And her like going between getting hysterical, like we were talking about and being convinced that there was, you know, somebody going to kidnap her, but also being practical at the same time. And then like, if you really are thinking it's Bart and he's a psycho, a word, as Kate, you pointed out, he she uses over and over again. But then she, like, not only lets him into the house and into her bedroom because she rationalizes, well, my grandma is here. <laughs> like, if she really thought that this was a man who sent her fingernails and could murder her. And she's like, yeah, we'll be fine in my bedroom. My 80-year-old grandma's downstairs. It's actually one of my favorite parts of this book, though, is that. Christy actually, she is terrified, obviously. She thinks she's going to be kidnapped off the street and ransomed because her stepfather's a millionaire. And yet she decides to like confront it head on. Like maybe foolish, right? (laughs) Sure. But like, I love that she's just like, okay, I'm just going to call it out straight to your face. I'm not, I mean, what I would have done is I would have sent a pack of my girlfriends to, you know, confront him, but she just handles it herself. Also, while we're talking about Nanny, I wrote this down. Yes. One of my favorite descriptions of any character ever is that she's unlike any other grandmothers because she has friends. (laughs) (laughs) She bowls, she wears pants, and she has friends. And she has a pink car. Yeah, right. Like, that is way harsh, Ty. I mean, my gosh. Right. Well, but probably because, as we've discussed, Nanny is probably 60. Probably. Like, at, at most. <laughs> right. Grandma. She's likely 54. And, like, fuck you, Christy. Like, who, what do you mean not like other grandmas? I'm in the prime of my life. She's a, Nanny's a cougar out there, like, getting it on the weekends. And Nanny's like, no dresses for me. I'm going <laughs> to put on my britches and go bowl with my friends. I'm a modern woman. <laughs> Give me some pants. Me right? <laughs> Hey, Nanny's got a sweet gig. Her daughter marries rich. She gets moved in to play with the grandkids, gets to spend her golden years in a mansion. Nanny's got made in the shade. I think I might want to be Nanny when I grow up. So, Kate, I'm dying to know because, like, obviously, we've been talking about this book for forever. Like, long before you guys started the podcast. (laughs) Like, you remember the thing with the fingernail clippings? So, like, what... In your brain, like, what do you remember from reading this book? So the fingernail clippings stand out as one of the biggest things. The other thing, like the sort of visceral memory, when she gets the phone call from Bart that he found these lobster costumes and Shannon's over at her house and they're trying to figure out makeup tips and what dress she should wear. And apparently Christy literally only owns two dresses, one that she wore for Watson and her mom's wedding and the, the dress that she wore to go to Sharon and Richard's wedding. And those are her two options. And the wedding dress is too fancy. So the other dress is perfect, though, thankfully. But so Shannon's in the middle of trying to figure out what to do with her hair and makeup and Christy goes and gets the phone call and she comes back and she said she you know she says to Shannon like what about this and smears rouge over her entire face and Shannon's like what the actual fuck are you doing like those are the two things that like stand out the most and I think I guess for me and I think maybe it's just because of this book like Koki Mason has always occupied a space in my mind and I thought she was a much bigger character in these books like I thought she showed up like Agreed. every three books or something and like it was probably like the last Halloween book 
you know, where they reference. So it's actually two Halloweens ago, like you were saying, Lauren. Like, she's not in that many books. But Cokie mm-hmm. Mason, because of this book, like, looms so large in my brain. And, like, mm-hmm. she, you know, whatever the, the kids say, she lives rent-free. Like, Cokie Mason will just, like, pop into my head occasionally. And it's 100% because of this book. And I guess I just – I don't know. there For whatever reason, and I don't know if – I chose to have – so Anna Martin came to my library when I was a kid, and I went to meet her. I got a book autographed, and I got – this book is signed by Anna Martin. She signed it and handed so cool. it to me in person. Uh, and amazing. so I don't know if I chose to have her sign this book because it was my favorite or if it became my favorite because she had or, signed yeah. it. Maybe a little bit of both, but, like, this is one of the books I've read the most. And I think the part of the reason why I love it so much is because – it's really like one story. There's a lot happening in that one story, but like there's no and Lauren, we've mm-hmm. talked about this on other episodes. Like there are B plots where it's like this should be its own story. Like they don't have enough time to dedicate to it. And I like that they don't have any of that here. You really get to focus on the Christie mm-hmm. story the whole time. And it's a fun story, even with the like terrifying fingernail clippings and and like I said in in my summary, like I really love that Shannon is around. In this book, like, I also remember Shannon being a much bigger part of the Babysitter's Club universe, and so far, clearly, she is not. Again, I think it's because of this book that I love her so much, and I, you know, remember her as a bigger part. And I think that, I think all of those things combined are, like, make up the main reasons why I've held on to this book so much. And I don't know, I just... It's just a good story. And even though Christy's not one of my favorite characters, I think that it's fun that it's Christy that has this happen to her. Mm-hmm. Not because, God, why would any boy ever like Christy? But, like, seeing her react to it, I think, is very different than, like, if Claudia was getting yeah. mystery admirer notes or pretty much any of them. I mean, maybe Mallory and Jesse would react, you know, sort of out of hand. But I think that the fact that it's Christy just makes it a really fun plot line and i well just I having just her it. get like a little bit of romance which is unexpected for christy mm-hmm. like like you said we would expect it if it were stacy or claudia right. or even dawn you know but yeah. having it and they christy, would know how to react or quote yeah. unquote know how to react i mean obviously you react how you react and i think christy reacts fine um i wish that she thought more of herself that she wouldn't automatically assume that someone saying they liked her whoever that person might be it's right that, that it's her brother playing a prank on her like right i mean yes yeah, sam that's like his defining feature and i do love how at the end you know when she's talking to bart after they've figured it out and you know she, she's like you know poor sam i don't think he's ever gonna live down his reputation of always being a prankster like because everybody at some point in the course of this book yep. has has suspected that sam was doing it whether it was the nice part or the mean part and I guess I just I I liked that we got a little bit of like an unexpected reaction from Christy that she is so like excited about it even though she at first doesn't think that it could possibly be real like it's it's nice to see her get to have a different experience than we would expect from her whereas like like we've talked about you know Christy's usually leading the babysitters club playing softball and looking down on her friends for liking boys so it's interesting that she has now had the opportunity and We've had conversations about whether Christy would actually be interested in Bart for real or <laughs> what that might look like. But I think it's it's nice for her to to get the opportunity and not just automatically think, boys are stupid. I don't want to like one. I don't want one to like me. However that might play out in the future, I think it's nice for her to get that that opportunity to have a different type of storyline. 
I am someone who deeply related to Christy as a kid. Like, I wanted to be Stacy. I wanted to be Claudia. I wanted to be Dawn. But like, I was a, I was a Christy. And so I, I completely related to A, thinking it was a joke. And then B, like, I, it was probably a really good, like, standard, I guess, maybe for me, since I did relate to Christy, is seeing her develop this crush on in this, like, little, whatever, if you want to call it a relationship, you know, in eighth grade. But, you know, having <laughs> this little, this little relationship with this boy who liked her for who she was. He didn't, he, I mean, the fact that he, proposed the lobster costumes and that was exactly in line with who christy's personality is and you know he was excited for how well she did and how well her team did and what a great coach she is he's not intimidated by her especially in retrospect like i don't think i picked up on that you know maybe as a kid but now reading it i'm like yeah like good job anna martin you know let's let's give her somebody that is like worthy of her, mm-hmm. you know. I totally agree with that. I I loved the fact that because I had that moment too, Kelly, where I was like, I because I definitely over identify with Christy on many things. I will say the the punctuality is not one of them. <laughs> um, and in fact, this book they show how flustered she is by the whole situation because she doesn't start the club meeting directly on time. It is five thirty one, and they're all like Christy, <laughs> and I, I I had this moment of going. I was like, okay, maybe I'm not such a Christy. <laughs> but you're like no. 98% a Christy, not 100%. <laughs> in the in, in the important core characteristics of a human being. We'll just blame the the time blindness on the ADHD and, you know, call it a day. But in any case, I really deeply identified with that too and and I I felt the same way that you did Kelly about showing that you didn't have to be the girly girl in order to get the girly version of romance, right? Like, I think one of the things that I really liked about this too is she, Chris even notes, like, I'm not really a hearts and flowers person. Like, she's a little taken aback by the flower stickers and the hearts, hearts on the eyes on the first one. But then by like some of the later ones, before it gets to creepy cokey, you know, only the first one is that flowery, like this, which I, I thought was realistic too, especially for a young boy. Like a lot of work goes into the first <laughs> one. And then it's just like, I like you a lot. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like, anyway, um, but she then starts to like lament that I, oh, I, I kind of like that heart there. And I like that acknowledgement that even if you are, you know, leaving aside Christie's sexual orientation, you know, let's just take this on surface value that, that she tells us that she has a crush on Bart and is acting as such. And so for this book, she does. And that's her sexuality as we know it for this book. But so leaving that aside, the fact that he didn't try to woo her with like baseball stuff or like football stuff or like I, I like that it kept the romance more stereotypical romancy than trying to act like because she's a tomboy in other areas, she couldn't appreciate a traditional, you know, like secret admirer and hearts and flowers that it would have had to have been more, you know, I don't even know the right word, but you know what, I'm, what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, it, it allows, it allows her and even Bart to like step outside, be, to become a little more three dimensional than they are in their, you know, one paragraph exactly. copy and paste blurb that they get in chapter one. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's not just a tomboy. She doesn't just like softball, you know, whatever. She, 
she can like hearts and flowers and enjoy a little bit of romantic attention from a boy and still like softball and be a tomboy and do all of those things. And that you can have those romantic relationships in a fun way that's authentic to you. Like she doesn't have to change herself at the end. She could still be the lobsters and have a good time. And like, I like that they, that she can discover that, that the hearts and flowers maybe are for her for a little bit and like discover that aspect of her personality, but still, like you said, embrace her inner weirdness. Like even Shannon's like, you're such a weirdo, Christy. And she's like, yeah, own that. We we loved, she like talks about how the lobster costume's like sitting in the corner with its arms dangling. Like the visual of that is so funny. And I love that she's allowed to be that weird, sometimes abrasive Christy that hasn't fundamentally changed, but she did maybe learn something a little bit new about herself that, you know, it's okay to want to admit that the idea that somebody has a big old crush on you to the point where they're like sending you love notes. That's, that's exciting. You know, even if you don't like the person that's sending you the love notes eventually, I mean, if they stop and it doesn't turn into a creepy situation, you know, it's flattering. It's, and, and that she's lucky that she did like him, but regardless, I like that they let her have that girly moment without, taking away her inherent prickliness at, uh, at the other stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think the other thing that I liked about it was we get that scene of her and Bart before she gets the first note when he's like asking her questions about herself and her life. And, and basically it's like, I want to talk to you about things other than softball. I want to get to know you. So that's sort of, you get that foundation before she even gets the, the flowery notes. So she's already, I mean, we've, she's talked in multiple books previously, like, oh, I kind of have a crush on Bart or, oh, sometimes we hang out. Like maybe there'll be something there, but like, this is the first time we really get to see him like actively try to do something other than softball with her. And then she gets the notes and that sort of puts a different thought in her head. And even though she doesn't really think it could possibly be Bart, all of her friends are like, of course it's Bart. Like he likes you. He's trying to get to know you. Like you're already sort of down that path. And this is his attempt to maybe move things along a little bit quicker because he doesn't know another way to like get through her prickliness, which I think is sort of nice. And the other thing I was thinking as we've been talking, she's intimidating. Exactly. And I think that the thing that I've really, as we've been talking about Bart, like we have, <laughs> over our conversations of, about the books so far, we've sort of come to the realization that Logan kind of sucks. And I'm really loving seeing Bart in comparison to what we've discovered of Logan over the past, you know, 38 books, is that Logan kind of sucks and Bart is like a pretty thoughtful, great little kid. I mean, young teenager, whatever we want to call him. Like, he's pretty great and he's pretty mature like the fact that you know he's being freezed out by all of these people whether it's shannon at school or christy at softball or any all of christy's friends you know he's finally like he tries to call her she won't answer the phone so he comes over and yes she is maybe stupid if she thinks he's actually maybe gonna kill her but he's like look what's going on like what is happening and thankfully him being so upfront and just like asking the question makes her be like, fine, you want to know what's going on? Here's what's going on. Here's all of these notes. And he's and he's like, where are all these? I only sent you four. Why do you have like five more? And what the fuck is going on with these? And they, they're able to work it out. And like, it sort of feels a little bit like too easy, but also like, it's a good sign of both of them being mature at some point. You know, Bart steps up first. And then finally, she's like, fine, let's have this conversation. And it's really nice to just have, instead of all the, like, beating around the bush, you know, like, if we watch shows today about teenagers, there's usually a lot of, like, talking to their friends and, like, 
talking, you know, around issues. And, like, it's nice to see kids be like, here's my problem. Here's my problem. Let's work it out. And they do. And then he's, like, actively trying to help her figure out who sent the creepy notes. Because he's like, I know I can talk about this piece. I did this piece. But, like, I have nothing to do with any of that. Like, let's talk about who's seen these notes, who's heard you guys talking about them, who knows what it might the circumstances might be that they could copy my notes. Because, obviously, I didn't show them to anybody. So, like, who did you show them to to try to figure it out? The fact that she didn't immediately think that Koki was behind it, even though she clearly knew that Koki was a watching them. Sus. It's a little bit mm-hmm. like, mm, Okay. Yeah. I mean, we needed it for plot purposes. Also, my girl Christy would never have believed him that fast. So, you know, what I no. wanted was she like... She would have interrogated for a lot let's longer. Let's go down to the basement, Bart. And then, you know, she drags <laughs> up a chair across the concrete and swings the, you know, bare bulb and proceeds to ask him some, like, you know, hard-nosed questions. But uh, I'm like, I mean, Koki denied it, too. Why didn't we disbelieve her? You know? Just saying. Very good point. To be fair... Koki's track record is it's one true. thing, and as Kate so eloquently just pointed out, we have noted how well Bart and Christy communicate over the course of the series. They like they will have these little tiffs, but then they will have an honest like conversation, and it does feel much more two way than the Logan like wagging his finger at Mary. Now, Marianne, you have to learn how to be in a relationship. <laughs> Like it's it's yeah, but ugh, Lauren, I mean, Logan just sucks. just remember, you know, like put on the short list for your your memory moving forward. I mean, everybody's great till they mail you fingernails. So <laughs> just <laughs> you're not wrong. What's about you? Okay, speaking of poor Bart, as Kate mentioned, being just like totally. If you imagine this book from Bart's perspective from the jump, like it's very funny where he like starts sending he likes this girl, things are going well, like they they go out every once in a while. He starts to send her love notes and all of a sudden everyone stops talking to him, like just completely freezing him out. And at one point, I think my favorite part of the whole book was they had like a practice with him and he was there, but like literally no one was talking to him and he kept being like, "Guys, guys and as they're like he's like trying to walk up to christy to walk her home and she like just gets in the car and as charlie's driving away bart goes what is with you bart called after me as i climbed into the car why won't you speak to me why won't shannon speak to me girls are as it like drove away and i'm like oh poor bart he's like girls are so weird like why won't anyone say anything this to is me? exactly I, why I, boys I don't, don't send love letters <laughs> <laughs> exactly like poor bart is just like on his own like storyline again once he found out about the fingernails he was clearly like oh that makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. we're right <laughs> of but course you didn't talk to me I, <laughs> yeah i'm just imagining like this 13 year old kid and i'm standing alone in a parking lot yelling after a car like girl what girls are weird guys i don't yeah. <laughs> it's it made me laugh so hard i could not stop laughing like every every part of this book made me laugh so hard yeah it was just so much fun. You get you got to give Bart a lot of credit. I mean, he's definitely yes. Once once we confirm that he's not a stalker, I mean, he's pretty emotionally mature for an eighth grade boy. So mm-hmm. I've met a lot of like thirty eight year old boys that are not this emotionally <laughs> mature, or open with their feelings. So exactly, I will say, and not not to like steal a joke from John Mulaney. I think it was a John <laughs> Mulaney joke about how he talks about how. Uh, 
you know, like having watched cartoons and stuff as a kid, he really thought quicksand was going to be a bigger problem in adulthood. <laughs> I I read this book and I really thought love letters, like secret admirer style love letters were going to be like an actual thing in my life. And I was I've been waiting for yeah. many, many decades now for for my mystery admirer letters to start at which point if it did happen now i would just immediately call the police but <laughs> yeah they'd go like immediately into a ziploc bag so you could preserve exactly. evidence and fingerprints fingernails and call or the cops. no <laughs> exactly. yeah like who, who is doing yeah. this how do you know where i live right. what are you doing this is why on earth would you send me an unsigned letter do you not have email exactly I was convinced that mail in general was going to play a much larger role in my life. Like we had the love letters. We had chain Mm -hmm. letters in this one. There was, you know, back in the day, that's how you used to order the fancy toys, like from the Sears catalog. Like that's where mail was. I remember like sitting and waiting for the mailman. It was like a huge deal. Now I go for like a week and I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't been to my mailbox. I should probably stop by there and clear out all of the like penny (laughs) savers and, you know, ads for credit cards and just when when you're an adult the mail's no fun it's only it's only ads and bills so you know yeah i feel like there's so much more about what i imagined being adult being that is way less i thought stamps were going to be more fun reality i i really did (laughs) i thought stamps were going to be necessary i think i still have a roll of stamps that i bought in college that i have not used because I have mailed maybe 20 things in the intervening 20 years, unless it's stuff that like has to be, you know, specialty mailed and whatever. So anyway, but yes, uh, because I conflated, I think when, when this sort of clicked and I started thinking, uh, remembering this one and, and unlocked the PTSD terror of the fingernail clippings. I think I conflated this one with the chain letter one, speaking of, of mail, that's why I like the mystery admire the, the love letter aspect of it didn't really register with me, but I don't remember now what the chain mail solution was because I thought that was Koki Mason sending a creepy, but I think that that's also like, I'm also conflating that with the Marianne mystery that was two Halloween, two eighth grade Halloween. I thought that one was a, chain letter that like kicked it off because she like didn't send it and so that's where the bad luck came from that's where the you're right you're right i always think of the mustard seed with that one which we talked about i was big for whatever reason the mustard seed i remember that that part too yeah later on they came out with like a chain letter book where it was like something that you were supposed to like send to other babysitters club friends or whatever where it was supposed to be fun. But we definitely, I remember absolutely participating in a couple of actual chain letters. Oh, same. And being so excited for the mail. So I get, like, Christie's and everyone's complete, like, 100% wrapped attention on this being, like, the only thing. Like, you talked about how there isn't really a subplot. Genuinely, if someone that I knew in eighth grade was getting mystery admirer notes, there would be no subplots (laughs) in life. It would be 100%. All hands on deck. (laughs) We're figuring this out all the time like we need to figure out who this is we are going to 100% i like the only thing that feels unrealistic to me about this is that claudia and stacy weren't way more on top of this mm-hmm. like comparing handwriting samples with boys i mean granted they were all as it said word <laughs> processed or typewritten but like i believe that christy and stacy or not christy claudia and stacy would have been way more like 
invested in the boy aspect. Well, and Dawn should have been way more invested in the mystery aspect of it. Because as we've seen, like, she's very, very focused on mysteries. And she just, like, it's like, oh, it's so weird that you're getting these letters out of all of us. The end. Like, there's really basically no Dawn in this one. It was uncalled for, Dawn. You didn't need to kick a poor girl she's down who would have believed that you were the one to get mystery in my notes well it is strange that there's that instance and then you know shannon making the offhanded comment that if a kidnapper was coming for someone in the thomas brewer house clearly it would be for karen and andrew and like again she wasn't saying it to be vindictive just the way that dawn wasn't but like those are both really cutting remarks to make to someone who's one of your best friends, even if you're sort of well, joking. And that one was cutting, but also creepy because, like, the first part of her justification was that they were his quote unquote real kids, which rude. But the second part was that they're little and small and <laughs> easier to, like, lure with puppies and candy into a panel van. Like, oh my God. It's just, th- there were so many things like that on rereading this book that I was like, well, that was dark. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of dark. Maybe Anna Martin had been watching a lot of like serial killer movies. Like maybe she had watched. I don't. Was this before Silence of the Lambs? I don't know. But like maybe she was on her own true crime kick before that was like a real thing. And so as she's writing this one, she's like, "It's a Halloween book. I've been watching all this creepy stuff. I've been reading, you know, The Stranger Beside Me." Like. Maybe she was just like, you know what, let's maybe make this one a little bit creepy. Or she wasn't even thinking about it because it was like in her brain, all of these like luring children with candy and puppies and, you know, fingernail clippings. Like, I don't I don't know. I would I would love to know what was going through her brain as she was writing this one. Same. And and this is one that I would love if anybody out there wants to write some fanfic like I want this one to be the next super special and like i need it five times as long because like you were saying like all of the other bsc members would have had very specific responses to this and we Mm -hmm. didn't get to see any of them like marianne should have been petrified like losing her mind marianne should have been the one like insisting they tell all the grown-ups you know All of that, right? She she would have been wigging out. Stacy and Claudia, of course, would have been way more boy crazy. Dawn would have been all into the case. I don't know. Mallory probably would have wanted to like ride a horse <laughs> about town and see if there were stickers. Lying no, Mallory would be composing know, but... letters to write back. Oh yes, yes, yeah. that's exactly what she would have done. So and Jesse would be too busy at her ballet practices. <laughs> She'd be dancing Romeo and Juliet to to like thematically fit into the story. I love this. Yeah, we should do this. Yeah. We should just we just need to quadruple the length of this book. Yeah. Get more feedback or more perspectives mm-hmm. from all of the characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe even get some Bart chapters Ooh. in there where he's where he's doing what you're saying, Lauren. Like, what I is happening? Like, like why is no one talking to me? All I did was send this note. I mm-hmm. guess it was weird that my brother put the first one at Shannon's house, but like I'm just being nice. Why can't she be nice back? Why does everyone hate me? I um I also I want a whole chapter of Karen. She had a couple of really good zinger observations, as always. And you know how much she loves the occult. We could have got some more bit of destiny theorizing in there. Maybe yes. boo boo yeah. like That's what the fingernail clippings yeah. are for. Oh, it's a spell that like Karen could have cast a spell, a protection spell. Love this. Maybe 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 she thought that Morbida was trying to turn Christy into a cat to be a, a love match for Boo Boo, you know, that, that thought that would keep Boo Boo off of her property. And and at some point, I would love in our rewriting of this tale to have like one of the adults find 
the letter with the fingernail clippings. <laughs> and then the next chapter is from the perspective of the Stony Brook police chief who's, <laughs> you know, doing a DNA type against this material. Like, it is so freaking creepy. And I would love to have an adult's perspective going, like, hold up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Koki, what? Do you need to talk to an adult? Like, something's Yes, there are wrong. clearly some yeah, dark, like, wrong. there are some things yeah. here. Well, I mean, to be fair, her parents did name her Marguerite and then nickname her Koki. So, you know, there, there's... I think she nicknamed herself Koki because she doesn't want to be called Marguerite. You're right. That's true. But even still. I guess, I mean, my question is, where was Koki going to go from here? Like, it just so happened that the last note before she got caught was the fingernail note. And I don't imagine that she was Mm going to stop just because the World Series softball game was happening. So, like, how was she going to up the stakes in the next one? Like, was it going to be typewritten in blood? Was there going to be an actual finger in it? I don't know. But... (laughs) I wouldn't surprise me at this point. She's terrifying. She's an escalator for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I, she clearly had no plans because why was she at that softball game? Like they take pains to point out she does not babysit. She does not have any like kids or siblings or cousins or anything that would have been on that team. So they just blindly were like, yes, it makes sense that these three eighth graders randomly decided to go watch a bunch of children that they have no connection to play softball. And they're all just like, yeah, tracks. That's, you know, like, well, Christy's a little suspicious, but really sure. I think that it's like how arsonists go watch the, that's what I mean. That's exactly. Yes. She wants to see Christy suffer. Yeah. And she thinks she's going to show up and watch her and Bart freak out. Right. And I think I don't think that Christy definitely wasn't like, oh, Koki's here. That's cool. She just didn't have the opportunity to like point it out to her friends to be like, what's going on with this? Let's figure this out. And like they're all just hanging out, so they don't really notice either. So I I don't think that it was like. And also, there's a ton of people there. So Mel, it might be particularly strange that Koki and her friends are there. There's so many people that like. It's not like it's just the families of the players and then this group of girls and like they stand out like a sore thumb. Like maybe maybe if it had been a different situation, it would have been very clear like you guys don't belong here. But if there's such a big crowd, it's like they can hide in plain sight and no one can really notice aside from Christy. And then finally she's able to point out like, guys, Koki's here. And then Koki has to take it a step further and like rub it in her face like to to see like face to face like. How's Christy doing right now? Is she really suffering like I want her to? <laughs> exactly. She the, the girl is evil. Like, who hurt you, Koki? Who hurt you? Right. It's yeah, but you're you're right. And Christy was suspicious, but she even mentions that like not nearly suspicious. Marianne was just blindly like, "Oh, that's nice that Koki came to the game." Like Marianne. When has Koki ever done anything Nice. Like my reaction, maybe it wouldn't be necessarily jump immediately to the letters, but it would be, uh oh, what the fuck is Koki doing here? What does she have up her sleeve? Like, right. I, I would not be like, oh, that's lovely. Maybe she's trying to be our friend now. <laughs> like, no, literally nothing that Koki Mason has ever done has ever indicated any kind of, I, again, to be fair, they don't know that she ha- is fingernails in a threatening letter crazy yet that i mean but she's done many questionable things so i feel like she has earned more suspicion than they currently give her 
But Marianne is definitely the one who would try to give someone a second chance You're or true. give, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe she is just here to watch softball. You know, maybe they happened to be walking by and saw a crowd and thought it would be fun. I mean, Marianne of all of them should know better after what happened with the mustard seed and all of that. But it doesn't surprise me that it's Marianne that takes that position with Christy. You're not wrong. That's very true. Speaking of this, those softball games though, and, and the, um, that really being the only sub- subplot, uh, especially the more Shannon. You're right. I did not remember this being so Shannon heavy. I really, I appreciated that. But I especially loved the scene with Shannon and Stacy under the tree at the softball game where they were like talking about the kids. I was like, this is the most soccer mom on like the sidelines conversation. I I was like, oh my God, are you all 45? Like. <laughs> You are not. They're like, oh, that one's mine. I, when Stacy was like talking about, oh yeah, mine's not that athletic. You're talking about Charlotte. And I, she's like, I really think of her like a sister. I literally, my brain filled in daughter before we got to sister because that's how <laughs> they they were absolutely talking like you know swapping stories about their their kids. It was cracking me up. That and then Buddy Barrett, of course he would fall for the for the older lady that tracks with his neglectful young-ish mom <laughs> that he would of course although speaking of not being very nice christy was not very nice in how she described shannon either like there's weird emphasis on interesting versus her ski jump nose and like interesting looking interesting versus pretty she's mm-hmm. like i don't think that's a bad th- bad thing and i'm like anytime you have to like follow up your mm-hmm. description of someone with being like i don't think that's bad maybe rethink how you're talking before you get to that point of saying it's not a bad thing it just it's not beautiful or attractive it's just you know it's, that was so maybe er- christy had earned the the real kids comment from (laughs) (laughs) that's just like "Mm, i know how you talk about me when i'm not here exactly well especially because if you look at the picture on the front of the book like shannon is drawn very traditionally eurocentric beauty situation like she's she looks basically like stacy on the front of the book like it could very well be stacy very true the way that they always depict stacy on the covers of the books too like generic white girl who's pretty with blonde hair. She's just a little bit more preppy than Stacy. She's got like the Bobby or the Nissan. Well, she's wearing yeah. her uniform. That's yeah. I did I don't know if we talked about it when they named the dog Shannon, but I guess it's been a while since Shannon's been like in the book for a minute, but it I don't know why, but it just sort of struck me that that is a little odd. If it's like your friend that you see all the time, that would be me like when I adopted the dog naming it Kate. Like that, I don't know. It's just a well, little... Well, to be fair, it was David Michael who named okay. her Shannon. True. Because Shannon's dog gave her... Or Shannon gave them the dog from her dog's puppy. True. And so David Michael, being a seven-year-old, would be like, let's just name her Shannon. Fair. That came from Shannon. That's how... Well, how yeah, it would dog, be weird if Christy had named cat. her dog Shannon. Yes. But David Michael naming the dog Shannon, it's a little strange that the rest of the family wasn't like, maybe let's name her something else. Or like, she's named Shannon, but we call her... I don't know. Snowman. Indiana. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Snowman. I was going to say cookie, but then I was like, that's too, too close, close to, to cookie. cookie yeah. So I'll, I'm just going to go with snowman. I don't know. I don't, don't, I don't have any idea. I can't tell you how my own brain works 99% of the time. So not even going to touch where, where snowman came from. 
<laughs> I think it was because she's a, a Bernese Mountain Dog, and it starts with S. There you go. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say it came All from. All I could think but... was, like, Shani, and I was like, that's not good. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that would – it just occurred to me that it would weird me out a little bit if I knew that my friends had a dog named – after me, I, I just, <laughs> just had never really thought about it that Laura way and before. I, I have some bad oh, news no. for you. <gasps> oh no! <laughs> as long as I don't have to be there to hear them call the dog, I think that that's what would be straight. Like if I don't want to be in a situation where someone calls a dog, and that there is a distinct chance it could be me or the dog that is being referenced. That's a fair point. Um, I yeah, I, I that I think would be strange. I feel like I know, and I don't know if it's like my in-laws, in-laws or something. There's like a family where there was a dog, Oliver, and then someone else in the extended family had a child and named the child Oliver. So the dog was there first. So they refer to dog Oliver and child Oliver or like (laughs) Oliver and human Oliver or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but like, I, I don't know. It just takes a certain type of person to name their pet after a human that is like actively in their life yeah or like you know an adult i i take that i mean like i said david michael a seven-year-old his logic was shannon gave us this dog let's name her shannon if you are an adult choosing to name your dog after someone in your life there's something wrong with you yeah i'm just gonna say it there's something wrong with you (laughs) that's that's a a stand i'm willing to take yeah i'm willing to die on that hill with you i'll uh, join you in in those arms I don't know. I'm, I'm like looking through and I'm like, you know, normally this is where we pull it thematically together and talk about our Danny Tanner moment. And there really isn't. You would think for a book in which a child is threatened with eternal like terror and body parts, there would be more of a wrap up moment or a big thematic like what lesson we're taking away. And really, the only lesson is don't fuck with Koki Mason because she's a psychopath and will terrorize you through the mail and not every boy is a lunatic, and some of them are just delightful boys who want to want you to be their lobster. Yeah, and also don't dull your shine to make a boy like you. Yeah, be who go. you are, and the boy, if he's worthy of you or girl, whoever that person, if they're worthy of you, they will like you exactly how you are, whether you kick their ass in softball or not. I do like that. That it was like they did make the point to say that, and that's clearly not like what they're going for with this book. This is all about the mystery. This is about the. Ooh, Right. of it but because and you know we're gonna get that plot line i'm sure at some point where it's much more explicit about and we've we've right. even had that before about christy being concerned about balancing her competitive nature with bart versus them liking each other but i do like that they make a point to say that that like she's worried that maybe the the tone switch of the letters are we had talked about them as as intimidating but at the one point, then she's worried, like, oh, maybe he's mad at me that we won. So it's not necessarily about mm-hmm. intimidating. It's more about, like, anger that I beat him. And that is cl- to Bart's credit. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't suck, like, <sighs> Logan, um, is <laughs> that that he does he isn't bothered by Christie's team winning. He seems, mm-hmm. you know, it makes him want to try harder. But he doesn't, right. like, he's not like, screw you, Christie, or get all, like, pouty because he lost and especially to a girl which is really nice right. so i like that they make that point but you're right it's not like but it's not like the big it's not the theme though the way that right. it's, it it would be in some of the other books where it's we don't really do we have any adults in this at all they like run the concession stand 
Yeah. But they don't, but that's it. They don't really interact. There's no like words of wisdom. You're right. Marianne would absolutely have had a, had the adults brought in on, on this. Mr. Spear would like mm-hmm. have the FBI on the case. Like, yeah. Yeah, taking DNA samples. No, but well, especially but, after the last book, when you know, with Dawn and her older boy Travis, like Richard mm. was the one that was like, "No, this isn't okay. Like, this isn't a, this kid is too old to be dating Dawn." And Sharon's just like, "Oh, it's so cute." And obviously, they didn't actually, they weren't really dating. Travis was grooming her, sort of. Whatever I don't know. Travis was that, doing. That whatever book. Travis was I don't, doing. So strange. I don't want to talk about that book anymore. Yeah. <laughs> after we talked about it, I, I, I now don't like that book i kind of hate it so yeah it just made me feel icky after we talked a bit through yeah but like richard was the one who was like guys this is bad like this is not okay and i think had marianne even mentioned the slightest bit of this and maybe even before they got creepy like richard would be like ah i don't know about this let's like see if we can figure out where these are coming from if this is actually like an okay situation, especially once it got creepy, though. Marianne, if she mentioned anything, especially about the fingernail clippings, he would be like, shut it down. We're figuring this out. <laughs> like, Chrissy, come stay at our house so that we know that no one can get to you. Like, it would be a whole thing. Like, Richard would or, shut or that shit down. Or he would have been like, Marianne, you're not allowed to see Christy for the yeah. next rest of your life. That's like, fair. <laughs> that That's an yeah. alternate reaction for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, I, I kind of think the the whole point of the book was... I mean, I my takeaway was what you said, Kate, you know, like this was a this was from my perspective, this was a three dimensionalizing. I like making up words like of it. Christie's character and mm-hmm. letting her have like some really what I took away, at least is some pretty authentic experiences as, you know, a tomboyish, not boy crazy eighth grade girl mm-hmm. who maybe isn't super sure of yourself and you know that moment she has where she goes maybe i should have let him win the game even though she didn't i thought was really authentic yeah. you know maybe, mm-hmm. maybe i i think we've all maybe had that moment especially as middle schoolers where it's like you don't want to put your hand up again because you don't want to seem like the know-it-all in class or you, you know you whatever it might be mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. She she thought it, but she didn't do it. And then he proved himself to be a a worthy little eighth grade boyfriend so for her. Cute. You know, you're right. And I think it's more just that it wasn't as telegraphed as it often is. Right. There wasn't a Julie Andrews voiceover at the end. Right. Exactly. Usually we have at least one or two moments. Like we've we've noticed that sometimes they're good at uh, sometimes it's really not subtle. It really is a like full on like Danny Tanner sitting them down on the couch and like, let's talk this through. So what did we learn today, kids? But a lot of times it's like one or two conversations that sort of synthesize everything. And I think Kelly, you're exactly right. The 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 scene that you're pointing out when she's having that moment, that really is like the thematic, that's the take that's the lesson, if you will, for for the kids. And I do I I appreciate that it's it's more subtle with this one. And that it, it more like tied into the fun craziness of it than mm-hmm. having Christy sit down with uh, Edie and, you know, have her be like, so mm-hmm. boys, sometimes when they like you, they send scary messages to get your attention. <laughs> like, you know, we could have gone some to some scary 80s places where, you know, boys will p- pull your pigtails. Well, I also I also like how how at the end of this, like with a lot of them, I guess, but it wraps up with. 
her and her best friends Mm -hmm. at a slumber Mm -hmm. party. And they're actually not talking about boys all night. And they're not obsessed with, you know, it's, it's, it's her girlfriends. And I don't know, I can't, I don't know how much this influenced me on my life or not. But I, sure, we can chalk it up to Babysitter's Club, because that's a podcast. But, you know, I've always felt like my female relationships are the most important ones to me Mm -hmm. and having my girlfriends and, you know, have making those relationships strong. So um, I love how that ended up, you know, she, she meets a boy, she likes a boy, he likes her, they have this like, fun, weird, kind of scary experience. And it's still about her and her relationship with her best friends. You're right. They really make a do a good job of having boys and and relationships in here. Logan's shittiness notwithstanding, like I feel like they do a good job of balancing. Or Anne has, and then you know, obviously, whatever direction she's giving to the ghostwriters going forward, of like there are boys in their relationships, but we really do even when they're talking about specifically relationship issues like they're in this one, they're largely talking about it in through the context of the, their friendships. Like you said, like we're seeing them talk to their friends about it. We're seeing them process these situations with their friends about it. It's not like about the boy. It's about this is a boys are a thing that happened that you have to deal with as a, or I should say relationships because not everybody has to deal with boys or, or even sex. That kind of, that world, romance, sex, all of that, whatever degree that you are interested or not interested in in it is something that comes up and that you have to deal with starting around that age. But I like that they keep the focus on, like you pointed out, Kelly, how that's, how that affects your friendships and how you talk about it, that with your friends and how your, your friends can help you make sense of that rather than the emphasis being on which boy do we like. Like we talk about, you know. Claudia and Stacy being really into boys and and this one Claudia you know does have a boy that she wants to go with so does Stacy but they're they're one offs they're they're unimportant it's the friendships that are the like real the real love affairs sorry I had to get cheesy and figure lean in why not embrace embrace the cheese if we if we don't have a Danny Tanner moment we can have it for them <laughs> yeah it it is lovely that because I think some of the best books are the ones where it does end at a sleepover with the girls. Mm-hmm. And I think this one in particular really drives that home, especially since my girl Shannon, she's right there and plays a, plays a prank on Christy. And, you know, they all laugh about it. And it's just like an extra layer of fun that they have that night. And, yeah, it, it's just nice. And I love that Shannon is like, so what happened at the dance? And they're like, oh, yeah, we all danced. And she's like, no, what happened? Like, I've been sitting here all night. Like, give me the hot goss. Like, tell me what happened. And, you know, they tell her about Koki's, you know, fake eyelashes falling in the Yes. Oh, my God. And, I love know, that. Her getting, like, everybody hates her because of the notes that she sent to Christy. And, like, it, and, you know, Mallory blurting out that, that Bart kissed Christy on the dance floor. And everyone's like, what? Oh, my God. And she's like, how did you see that? And it's like, dude, you're right in the middle of the floor. Like, everybody saw that. And it's just... They just had a good time and, you know, they obviously there were some talk of boys, but it was not about boys. Like, it was like, boys were at the dance. Oh, we went with boys to the dance and, like, I danced with whoever and it was lovely. But, you know, we also had a great time as friends and now we're having our own time, you know, after the dance with Christy's costume standing in the corner with its, you know, multiple legs just hanging out. And it's just, yeah, it's just fun. I just, I love, I love the books where we end with the girls just together together having fun together because that is definitely like those are uh, 
the times put after the dance or getting ready for the dance or like dissecting the date or the uh whatever it is you know those were some more fun and obviously more memorable than a lot of the other you know dances and mixers and and dates and things of that nature but you know like you're right talking about it with your friends doing the blow by blow that was more fun than the actual <laughs> you know experiencing of it sometimes um we've mentioned Koki a couple of times uh, and I I brought up her name earlier I just have to point out the names of some other names from from the book because her girlfriends are Grace Bloom, Lisa and Bibi and then her dance date is Austin something I can't find it Austin something but it's like they are the most 80s names I was like you these these are the preppiest 80s villains <laughs> I am seeing popped collars I am seeing Izod I'm seeing mm-hmm. you know if they're aged up 20 years a mirror and a rolled up dollar bill <laughs> like these are uh <laughs> Though those names are a lot of the names in the book are really fun. I mean, Claudia's new boyfriend is Woody Jeffries, which or Woody Jefferson, which is which is good too. But the only ones that are I, I like that the only ones that are really like that eighties prep story are Koki and her little mm-hmm. merry band of of misfits. Yeah, Austin Bentley. Austin Bentley, Austin Bentley, the most '80s. Like that is a James Spader character, hundred <laughs> oh, percent. Sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, since it seems like we're transitioning to like random thoughts as we start to wrap up. Yeah. Um, in the descriptions of the girls at the very beginning, I was struck again, and I don't know that I've ever we've ever called this out specifically, but like. Unless Mallory or Jesse is the narrator, they are very much a package deal Mm -hmm. in the descriptions. It's like, and then there's Jesse and Mallory, blah, blah, blah. She's black. She's white. They both love horses. The end. Like, everyone else is, like, very distinct. Like, this is this person. This is this person. Here's a description. Here's what we know about them. Here's what we love about them. And then there's Jesse and Mallory. And, like, I guess I I sort of understand it because they're the junior associates, mm-hmm. they're best friends. Like it kind of makes sense, but it also is a little bit frustrating that it's always just like, and Mallory and Jesse, like they're sort of one entity and they're always last and mm-hmm. they're always sort of a throwaway. And this descriptions of them, I feel like are always basically identical. Whereas the other girls, there is a little bit of nuance depending on who's the narrator, but Jesse and Mallory are just, there they are. <laughs> they literally, their descriptors are so generic that every time it's like, in a lot of ways, they could not be more different, but they do have some things in common. That's literally every time. And then yep. and then they talk about horses and dancing, the size of Mallory's family, and the fact that they're black and white. Like that is that is really it. Mm-hmm. And it it's really and I know we've talked about before Jesse's blackness only being presented as in contrast to Mallory's whiteness. Like it's it's mm-hmm. so that you know that even makes Mallory's whole character. We we've seen how that's been impacted, but yeah, you're right. It's it's unfortunate. They really are. I don't remember them being so sidelined and so generic, but maybe that mm-hmm. has contributed to how much Jesse was just sort of a non-entity for me. I, I just figured I didn't really connect with her because like she's a pretty perfect ballerina, and that was so not my vibe. That I just, you know, I, I kind of figured that that's what it was. But maybe it really is more like we were talking about before that they just actually aren't that big of a, a piece. And it makes it really easy to 
not like Mallory because similar to the way that they're always telling us how great Logan is, they're always telling us how annoying Mallory is when we've noted that that's not usually actually true. She's kind of great. Yeah. The other thing about the descriptions, we usually only get significant focus on ear piercing from Jesse and Mallory. Christy is very into talking about ear piercing and then makes the declaratory statement that she and Marianne will never get their ears pierced, which I can understand her making that for herself, but like, yikes, way to like, you know, forced your statement on Marianne. Like, pretty sure she might get her ears pierced at some point. And you might too, Christy, but like, feels a little weird for her to be like, Marianne will never get her ears pierced. Are we setting up conflict for Marianne's makeover? Isn't that coming up soon? Oh, maybe. Because I noted that too. I was like, that's really vehement. And why bring Marianne into this at all? And then I thought, oh, maybe that is a little bit of foreshadowing because that really sticks out in my brain. I remember that big fight between Christy and Marianne about Christy feeling really left behind by Marianne. Mm-hmm. And, and pre- does she get her ears pierced? I think she might. I think she does. She bobs her hair. She gets new clothes. She gets makeup. And I think she gets her ears pierced. I got my ears pierced for my second grade first communion. That was like the big present. So I remember I was reading these right around the time that ear piercing was a very big like topic of conversation slash dream slash like life goal (laughs) around the time that I was reading these. So I think that stood out to me too. And we got a little bit more of the Stacy foreshadowing, a little bit more uh, subtle this time. Christy just mentions that she hasn't really been sick, but she never really seems well, something like Mm -hmm. that. So we, you know, more of that. I'm pretty impressed. It has been so subtle. You know, there hasn't mm-hmm. been a normally it's like one book. We hear something about it and then the next book it happens. Right. And then it's the next book. And with the Stacy stuff, that's been really sort of a long time coming. But we it's been a long time since we've had a Stacy book. What was the last Stacy book we even had? I don't remember. It's been so long since we've read one. Right. Because <laughs> we did we took our break for um the Netflix series, so I don't know. Oh. Right before it was the last one we did before we went on um, break. It was the Stacy and the Mystery of Stony Brook when she. Oh right, yeah. I don't remember. Did they? I don't know if they really talked about the diabetes much in that in that one. That was more focused on the divorce and stuff, mm-hmm. and the you know the house. Don't remember. Interesting, yeah. but we'll see. We'll see when that happens. Right, because it'll certainly be a Stacy book when everything comes to a head. Oh yeah, absolutely. Diabetes. So it maybe it'll be the next Stacy book or. It seems likely it'll be the next Stacey book at this point, just since we have had such – not long, but it's been over the course of several books. And I think if they drag it out too long, it'll eventually be like, okay, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? Oh, it definitely is. I'm looking at the list of books, and our next Stacy book is Stacy's Emergency. So, yeah, that would – yeah. Okay. But so anyway, now that we have we have this foreshadowing too a little bit, those are the only ones that I've really that have jumped out at me so far. Have you noticed any other ones? Yeah, I don't think there was anything else that I picked up on. I think one thing that I think is sort of interesting, and we'll we'll talk about our predictions for the next book, but there's no foreshadowing of anything happening with Mallory and the next book is poor Mallory. So I don't remember reading that one, but I have some thoughts about where that's going to go and we get nothing in this book or any prior book about any sort of situation with Mallory's family. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the next one. Well, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to predictions. Let's see. Do you have any other like 
random observations before we get to our predictions? Or it was Christy, so I'm curious to see what uh, fashion was in there at all. Well, we'll talk about fashion. There's basically none. But I had three sort of like one-off statements or observations that I wanted to make. The first of which... I think this might be, and may, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first use of the word distant to mean really cool. Yes. Oh, yep. my God. I wrote this uh, down, too. Forgot about distant. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. I forgot I'm about totally that. totally forgotten about that. And what a random word to choose to mean really cool. Like, far away? I don't – it's so strange. It's so distant. I mean, I prefer it to dibbly fresh. Yes, whatever so the hell that was. That. Yes. <laughs> Uh, for sure. But um, yeah, I just I had to call that out because I was like, I I remember distant, but I couldn't remember if we had had that in any prior book. And I don't think so. No, no, this was new. I also like how it was just it was just used with no context. So like, I mean, Claudia just says distant, period, like not an explanation point, like nothing. No, you just had to kind of, I guess, figure out that it meant rad totally tubular. <laughs> she did describe it. Her work is incredibly distant. That's a word my friends and I made up to mean super cool. No, it isn't. That, it, <laughs> oh, that's, I totally That's not that. a word that you made up. It does not mean super right, cool. It's a real word. A, dibbly fresh. If right. dibbly fresh were that, that, then that would be a true statement, Christy. But That is made up. But yeah. distant um, is not a word that you made up to mean super cool. <laughs> <laughs> that you just changed the meaning of it. It's, it's, it's like they... It's like they went to the 60s thes thesaurus and went, uh, what's a synonym for far out? <laughs> exactly. Oh, sorry. There is um, foreshadowing because it was on the same page. That's why I, I noticed it. When she's introducing the idea of Marianne and Logan, she mentions, I think he and Marianne have been having some problems lately. So that's oh, a, interesting. Uh, yeah, I glossed right over that foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, I, I remember I, noting it. To highlight it, but then when ugh, I don't, I don't care about this. Moving on, <laughs> who cares? I I know they get back together. I would have been rooting <laughs> that they stayed apart, but I I remember rooting at the time as a kid to get back together. So how the worm has turned. Definitely. One other thing to note, Marianne points out at some point in like a passing comment, Mrs. Prezioso has bought Jenny her first pair of pants. Ooh. Shocker. <laughs> just Ooh. thought that was a funny thing for them to just throw in because Jenny Prezioso is not in this book at all. It's just them like chatting about babysitting. And she's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> Mrs. Prezioso bought her some pants. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Jenny and Granny both get pants. <laughs> she's on the right path to be a, a fancy granny. <laughs> Um, and then my only other thing was I just love when they're at the the sleepover they're you know now that everything has been resolved there's no terror over you know overarching the situation um, and they're talking about the kidnapping you know potential kidnapping plot and Mallory brings up that she just read the ransom of Red Chief in you know her English class or whatever yeah and, you know how and she doesn't actually say that that's what it is but she's like oh I, we read this O Henry story where you know the these kidnappers kidnap this kid and you know they, they're trying to ransom him but nobody wants to pay because they don't want to take him back and you know and I just thought that that was funny especially because they're talking about Christy getting kidnapped and and Mallory's sort of right. equating Christy with Red Chief and like I don't know if yeah. you get kidnapped well Will Watson even pay to get you back? I don't know. Oh, geez. I just thought that was fun. That and is. it's definitely on brand for Mallory to reference an O. Henry short story that she read in English when they're talking about, you know, their actual lives. One million percent. I do love that. I did also note that Bart is in a band that is getting gigs at age 13. Literally, they call them gigs. Christy's like, have you played one of those what do you call them? 
What's that word again? What's that word again? Gigs. Oh, gigs. gigs. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, a couple. We could get more, though. No one wants us to practice in their basements. It's too loud. And I'm like, you're 13. And then at the dance, she's like, you should play our dances. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, boy. What adult is in charge of that? Can you just imagine? Oh, but this but this is Christy's calling, right? Like, she's like, so I started a babysitter's <laughs> club. I've been pretty successful at booking gigs for my friends for the past five years. And now I'm going to become an agent. So I'm branching out. Totally tracks. It's like, Christy, one one piece of advice. You should really hear the band (laughs) before you start, like, trying to book Um, them. No matter how cute the boy is, trust me, (laughs) I have been taken in by many a cute band boy, Mm -hmm. and I have listened to many a dubious burned record. Is anybody curious as to what Marnie did that Buddy is holding over her head? Oh, my God. Thank you so much for mentioning that, because I did add a serious reaction to that. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. We are just flying past this. Mm -hmm. Speaking of things someone should have told an adult at some point, when a child is like, shh, don't say anything. And everyone's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Must must not be important. I'm like, no, this feels like something someone should should like investigate so this was super weird reading it because i in my mind i thought that there was later in the book like a ref i in my mind like as i was reading it was like oh clearly later in the book someone is going to be like oh i found out what that was it was you know something dumb and i never got that and i was like did i misread did i skip over that like in my head i like i knew that we found out what it was and i was like oh right yeah there there's that thing and we're gonna find out what marnie did and i'm like i what did she do? I don't understand. <laughs> Is it foreshadowing, I guess? The book just concludes with Marnie still being blackmailed by her older brother. So, yeah, maybe maybe we find out in the next book. Who knows? But if not, somebody does need to call in. For, for sure. Again. The level of, like, nah, with which they greet. It's very fascinating to me in these books, the things that get, like, so invested about and they're like taken so seriously and the things that are so unexamined Mm -hmm. and i'm like Mm -hmm. we have very different definitions of what is important information because that to me would raise alarm bells koki showing up at a game where she is not like attached to anyone involved uh, that would raise alarm bells and those are the things that they're like whatever it's fine but like so so wasn't it wasn't it marianne who was babysitting them when this whole plot this whole blackmail situation comes up. I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think so. Was I think it, it yes. was Marianne. It was Marianne, But yeah. regardless, her, she she thinks to herself, like, maybe I should tell somebody. But she, she goes, eh, no, um, I want to protect their privacy, basically. Yes, I don't yes. want to, like, rat out my little – which I think the point is made. Again, you can see it as an adult now as, a, yeah. you know, as opposed to a kid. Like, they relate more to the children – than they do to the adults. Yep. They think they're adults, which is why they sit around softball games, <laughs> you know, like soccer moms, talking about sunscreen and stuff. But, like, at the end of the day, they actually relate more mm-hmm. to the kids because they're 13. Now I really want, like, someone to rewrite one of these books, one of the more ridiculous ones, from the eyes of the parents. Like, <laughs> what they are seeing, thinking, and, like, so this 13-year-old came at me today and um, decided <laughs> me to I give me some parenting parent. advice. Yeah. They, like, pulled me out of my car and told me that I need to show up for my kids more. <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. I got dressed down by a 13-year-old girl today. So, um, you know, feeling really good about myself. <laughs> Jesus. So weird. I love these books so much. This, uh, it's, like I said, perfect book. No notes. 100%. 
Aside from the Marnie thing. <laughs> yeah. Just need to know what my, that is. And my only note is more. I want more. I want to know what it yeah, is. No. I just want to know what, what Marnie did. What did Marnie do? That's the next fanfic. I don't know. Any other random thoughts from anyone before we touch on the very, very limited fashion because it is a Christie book? Yeah, no. I think I'm good. I can't wait to hear what non-fashion event Christie decided to uh, explain to us. Well, so we've got, aside from the the Halloween costume where she's dressed like a lobster and, right. you know, offhanded references to what everyone else dresses up as, but there's no descriptions of their actual costumes. So I didn't include it in the, the fashion section. There's really only a description of Claudia and, a, you know, contrasting description by Christie of herself and her fashion. So, Claudia... That's another thing. Claudia's clothes. She's a real fashion plate. Talk about distant. Her clothes are so distant. Claudia is the most interesting dresser I know. She's always wearing things like day-glow high-top sneakers, cut-up jeans, off-the-shoulder sweatshirts, sometimes torn, and friendship bracelets. Her best friend is Stacey McGill, the club treasurer, and Claude braided friendship bracelets for both of them. And then the Christy description... I'm the only club member who still doesn't wear a bra because I don't need one. I don't care too much about clothes, though, anyway. I am not trendy and distant like some of my friends. I'm more of a slob. Almost every day, I wear jeans, running shoes, a turtleneck, and a sweater. Those clothes are comfortable. Oh, Christy. I love her so much. So distant. I'm going to be curious to see how long distant lasts because you know what? It didn't last outside of this chapter. They didn't use That's it again. That's fair. And the rest also, of the Dibbly Fresh was like one book as well. So, Once. yeah, I really thought that that was that loomed much larger in my mm-hmm. brain as well. But no, we've the minute, in fact, when they said distant, I was like, wait, what happened to Dibbly Fresh? By the way, we haven't heard that in a right. long time. So, I'm sure we'll get another one at some point. It'll probably be like electric or. I don't know, like closet or like something. We we can't even predict what random assortment of words the writer and ghostwriters of the Babysitter's Club will choose as a quote unquote cool word for (laughs) our babysitters to use. Fair point. Yeah, we can't. You know what? And I don't want to. It makes it that much more fun when we get to the complete randomness of things like distance. Exactly. Well, so before we wrap up, Kelly, is there anything, you know, I know you have some big projects going on. So if you want to tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and what you're doing, we would love to hear it. So I I have my own podcast with my sister, Karen. It is so good. <laughs> I you. love it. We uh we focus on YA mystery novels, primarily Nancy Drew, but we do like every we do like three Nancy Drews and then we do uh we call them our super sleuths, <laughs> which, you know, hashtag influenced by Babysitter's Club, I'm sure, but uh, where we bring in some like more current YA titles to talk about. So anyway, we have a good time over there. We're not we're not real serious about it. This is not a sociological dig into Nancy <laughs> Drew, but, um, you know, we dug out our our hardback yellow covers from exactly. the 80s and uh, talking through those. So anyway, so if fun. you have any interest in uh, Nancy Drew and talking about George and Bess and Ned. Uh, and their general, ex- I mean, talk about high stakes. Like, <laughs> there's actual. Stakes I did not there. realize actual stakes. Like, you know, kidnappings and it's crazy. I loved Nancy Drew back in the day. I was all about that. I way over identified with Bess. I felt I felt a, a real oh, kinship with yeah. Bess. Still do. Still Me too. The same. No. They're, they're having having reread these. I mean, there are some real standout books in this series so far. Um, I must recommend going back and rereading Lilac Inn. Okay. It's, okay. Uh, 
Gotta do it. Chef's kiss for sure. But anyway, our our show is called It's a Clue with an apostrophe. <laughs> as as I would expect so. from you and Karen, we would be disappointed if yeah, there was no right? apostrophe. <laughs> yes. Yep. But anyway, thanks for, thanks for having me on today. I uh, I love your show and oh. love the Babysitters Club and we love you. love slash hate fingernail <laughs> clippings and secret admirer notes. So. Well, like, that's why we had to bring you on because we knew that we couldn't <laughs> let this book pass without including you. And it sort of feels like a, a fitting uh, sort of companion piece to your podcast, because while it's not really a mystery, and obviously, we'll so. be bringing you and Karen back for, for actual mystery books. But this yes. feels like a, a good yes. introduction to a sort of mystery without the mystery specific aspects that we get into in those later books. And we know your love of Nancy Drew well, and mysteries. So this felt like a, a good combo. I think I think the Babysitters Club is uh, ha- have a much stronger developed sense of investigatorial procedures than Nancy <laughs> does, which is mostly just driving around until something happens. So, but it always uh, seems to work happens. out for her. So, a lot yeah. happens. I mean, I drive around all the time, and I just run out of gas. So, and to be fair, it's not like they really investigated anything. They didn't even suspect Koki until Koki blatantly like quoted one of her own letters to Christy, and she realized and, first so. before Christy even realized that she screwed exactly. up by quoting her own letter. <laughs> like, if Koki hadn't reacted, would Christy have even noticed? Maybe right? not. I mean, even the fact that they call it a mystery admirer, I've never heard it referred to as a mystery or admirer. It's always a secret admirer. Yeah, so I always thought that was yeah. Right. Uh, so you're right. There is this is a mystery sans any kind of real mystery like the things that we would expect from a standard mystery story. Right. So, but we do it's know not an investigation. no investigation. Correct. Yes. But we do the girls do eventually get their own like Nancy Drew esque like super mystery they series do. so we and can't I love wait them. so can't wait that's gonna be so much fun definitely we'll have you back for those because yeah can't can't wait it was so much fun yep well thank you thanks for having me so i guess is there any other final club business why don't you just remind everybody where they can find us as well yeah you can find us on social media on instagram and twitter at generation bsc and if you have thoughts that can't be contained in 280 characters or you don't want to send via dm please feel free to email us at generationbsc at gmail.com so with that i'm kate vlasic and i'm lauren hunter and this episode of generation bsc is now adjourned say hello to your friends